everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. We are coming to you on a Monday night, unfortunately, after TCU lost up in Norman. Things started out ugly, 21-0, but the Frogs fought back. The Frogs scrapped back. Ended up coming up just a little bit short, just like the spot, if you ask me. We're going to talk about this game as well as some news on the recruiting front, that and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Jeremy, you made your way there to Norman up there in the press box, enjoying that game, watching the Frogs uh, take a nosedive and then fight right back into the bitter end. Just what's your assessment, one paragraph of watching this game and how Frog fans should respond to it? Well, they played them pretty close. They played them closer than I thought it was going to be early in the game. I I looked over at Billy Wessels and I told him I don't think they get any points on the board. And they're probably going to have less than 200 yards of offense. I said 170, uh, but obviously they did better than that. Uh, defense, they came up big in some areas. They started off slow. Um, TCU in general just started off slow on both sides of the ball. But, I mean, there there's not really any moral victory to losing by four to the number nine team, but it's just another game where they were close. It, it could have been very different. You could have do You could do the – what if game, if, if Hurts doesn't fumble or uh, they don't get those turnovers, it could have been a, a lot different game. It could have been a, you know, a, a 42 to uh, 10 game uh, very quickly, but it, it wasn't that you got to look at the final score offense. I understand the frustrations. You're not going to, you're not going to win any games, get 200 yards of offense. Uh, some of it has to do with uh, just general personnel. Some of it has to do with, again, execution. Um, but yeah, we can discuss a, a whole bunch of this game, why it went wrong for the Frogs and what they're going to look forward to on Friday against West Virginia. All right, let's just start right there with the offense. Frogs put up 204 yards. Max was 7 of 21 for 65 yards. And then here's another statistic. You tell me what you make of this. Uh, Darius Anderson and Shea will run, have a combined 10 carries. What's your what was your take on on Sonny calling this game execution drops uh, play calling? There's a whole lot to get inside of that. Two hundred four yards is not going to beat Oklahoma on the road. But I what what do you think they did right? What do you think they did wrong? Because I got some thoughts on that. Well, I mean the that is a surprising stat to see Darius and Shea only carry the ball ten times combined. I know both both of them were frustrated, but when they did try to run the ball, I don't have the stats in front of me, but. It wasn't very good. There wasn't a lot of success running the football. And I, I think when you look at the overall rushing yards, if you take away Max's rushing yards, uh, especially on, on that long 63-yarder, you, you probably probably don't have very many yards to, to look at. I, I You know, for me personally, I, I think I would have tried to see uh, – what, what kind of yardage they could have got with a few more carries. But I think very early on, we could all see not only coaches, but the, the fans and the media could all see that the offensive line was not having a very good day up front. They were kind of getting taken to the woodshed by Oklahoma's defensive line. So I don't blame Sonny too much for not going uh, to the ground game that often. Uh, the passing game wasn't working. And, and people – they look at Oklahoma and they think this defense isn't very good. They they came into the game with a second-ranked defense in total yards allowed per game behind Oklahoma, uh, behind TCU, and they had the top-rated pass defense. So it's not like they're the Oklahoma of old. We can look at how Baylor scored against them. Yeah, Baylor's, Baylor's got a pretty experienced quarterback. 
Uh, Iowa State scored a lot. Iowa State's got a pretty experienced quarterback with Brock Purdy, who I think's the best quarterback in the league. And uh, but somehow or another, they they stayed in the game. But there's still drops, five drops at least, a couple overthrows, two two touchdowns. Uh, you missed on overthrows to Jalen. He Max Max just overthrew him, but. You're thinking if Artavius Lynn comes down with that ball, we're looking at maybe a different ball game here. Um, but like I said, you can't do a lot of what ifs, but that is a play that, that does matter in the stat line. So 7 of 21, you take away five drops. He's 12, 12 of 21 if those things are completed. Still not a great day, but it, as amazing as it sounds, they still had a chance to somehow win this game. But it's you, you you've got to give – a little bit of credit to Oklahoma crowd was crazy. They've got great athletes on defense. They're big up front. Their secondary flies around. They're, they're a lot better on defense this year than what they were last year, but it's it, no one's, no one's going to be happy because they see the 204 yards. And like I said, I'll fully admit that's, that's not going to win you any ball games, but it's, it's not just sunny. It's not just the offensive line. It's, it's a collection of everything that the offense did wrong. Uh, was was the reason now but I know someone has to have their finger pointed at them and that's going to be sunny do I think that's fair not really but I've kind of been on the bandwagon that I think uh, 70% of the reason the offense struggles right now is because of the offensive players I could I'm not a coach I could say that that's right you're not a coach not yet at least you know, if you look at the Baylor game and then you compare that to the Oklahoma game, there's one variable that remains or there's one thing that stays the same, one constant. A drop pass by a tight end that would have won the game. And so we all know uh, Pro Wells dropped that pass that was perfect to uh over his shoulder there early in the game that would have won it. And then our you know, I, I I think Artavius Lynn's pass was a little high and a little hot. That was a little different than the Pro Wells pass against Baylor. But that's still a catch you got to make there. Did you, from where you were and what you saw, did it look like it came in a little hot and high? But no, that's I what mean, it looked that's, like. On that's, TV. A catch, he, that's a catchable ball, that, man. He's made, that, yeah, he's made that catch. He's made that catch before this year. He's 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 made that catch. Artavius. That's one thing I could say about both the tight ends, Pro and Artavius. They've made some really tough catches this year, and that's a catch that he's made. Like he he, he made a catch like that. Um, who it was? Uh, I think either Kansas or Texas. I remember it being a home game and he had some pretty tough catches. He had some good third down catches in one of those games, but he can make that catch. That's, that's on him and he knows it. He knows that's on him. So it's, it's just the little things like that. And, and Max isn't without fault. He had that last pass that he threw to Jalen that the pass interference was actually called on. That has to, I mean, Jalen's wide open. Jalen's wide open. If he underthrows that, I mean, he if he doesn't try to just launch it, that's a touchdown. And you're talking a you know 31 to 28 game with less than a minute left or a minute 30 seconds left. And it just again, again, just the minor mistakes that aren't executed, and that's two losses by a combined uh, 10 points to two top 12 teams in the country. And that's just the way this season's gone. I mean, it really has. Yeah, the Frogs are sitting at five and six, and five of those losses, if you just basically take out the Iowa State game, 
they're all one score games. They're all one score games. And that's, that's heartbreaking to sit here knowing that the frogs still have to uh, find a way to beat a scrappy West Virginia team in order to become bowl eligible, knowing that if they'd have just gone two and three in those five games, that the season would be in a lot different spot. The season would be in a whole lot different spot. All right. We've been going eight and a half minutes. I want to go ahead and get to the down and dirty of what everybody's talking about. Third and short, Jalen Hurts sneaks it, uh, you know, takes the ball and runs to the, uh, you know, basically off guard. No one has watched that minus Jalen Hurts' grandma and thought that the Frogs got a first down on that drive or thought that thought that that Oklahoma got a first down on that play. You know, they, they spotted it poorly and then they reviewed it and they didn't do anything with it. Jeremy, how hot was everyone in the press box or how hot was Coach Patterson at the end of that game? on what is clearly a botched call. I, I'm kind of pro-official for the most part. They screwed that up so bad. Uh, What's your thoughts on on that third one that they butchered? I was actually on the field during that play because I went down with about six minutes left. And I saw the fourth and one play, and everyone thought on that play that the Sooners had got it. The, the fans were mad because they thought that he, he got it and they didn't think Wyatt Harris tackled him. On the third and one, it was kind of funny because you saw the penetration from the defensive line right off the bat, and you could see Jalen get hit, and you see him go nowhere. And they signaled first down. And and mind you, the sidelines at Oklahoma are very small. They're real similar to Eamon Carter. You're, you're very close to the fans. And you can just – you could even hear Oklahoma fans talking about how they got away with one. And then they showed it up on the big, gigantic scoreboard – and everyone's kind of like, oh, you could hear the, you didn't hear the cheers because they all knew that it looked short based on the replay. And it, it was just crazy because you just watching that replay and as long as they were taken, you just knew that they were going to come back and say the runner did not reach the first down mark. So when they said that he got the first down, it was total and utter misbelief by everyone. They were just, it, it, I couldn't even describe it. They were just in shock that that was called a first down. It was, it was amazing. And I, and, and truth be told, I think that the OU fans were even that way, shocked and and in disbelief that that was given to them, uh, especially after all the after all the reviews and everything else and how long they took. After the game, we were in there talking to Coach P. His his voice is gone. It's it's hoarse and. And I, I wanted to ask him because I, it, it was it, – it's not a call that changed the game. There's no – based on what TC was able to do when they stopped him on fourth and one, they couldn't get anything going. So I'm not – I'm for you Sooner fans that might be listening, I'm not saying if they get that call right that TCU wins. I'm just saying they should have got it right. And there's no guarantee that Lincoln Riley doesn't go for it on fourth and one anyway. So we – you know, as as we're watching the watching the game and, and and everything else, we know that there's no guarantee. Even if they they get that call right and Tishu gets the ball, that doesn't Tishu's not going to go down and score. There's there's no guarantee in that. So I'm not saying they lost this game because of that call, but I wanted to ask Coach P about it. Now, honestly, I didn't think he was going to even answer it because he doesn't like getting involved and talking about the refs. And so I said, Coach, on that replay, looked pretty short. Did you see it? And he said it was a poor decision by the refs, and you could you could see his frustration. And he went into talking about how he was frustrated against Baylor when they called Max out. 
in both those cases, there was not enough conclusive evidence to overturn those calls. And the, the thing uh, for on the field for Oklahoma, for actually Baylor, you didn't have enough proof, but for Oklahoma, there was, there was obviously big time proof and everyone saw it that, that the kid was short and it's all over Twitter. It's gone viral. And then today he was asked about it again and he doubled down and he, he basically said, this is, this is uh, the same crew that called the Baylor game. And this is twice now that they've, they've had that happen to us uh, where we didn't get a good call. And you can tell he's frustrated. He doesn't want to get fined by the big 12, but you can tell he's probably just thinking, I don't give a care right now because they have screwed me the last couple weeks. You know, if you go to my Twitter feed, you can see an up close uh, headshot of Coach Patterson on the sideline reacting to uh-huh. that call when it wasn't overturned. And you, you can, you can, if you read lips, you'll ha- you you don't need to uh, guess. There's no guesswork about what he is, <laughs> uh, what thoughts are on our, on his mind or what he's saying. So something that a bull does. I out don't. The field. Something that a bull does out in the field. Something that they do. Uh, hopefully when no one's around watching, but yes, he had some very clear thoughts on that. Very clear thoughts on that. So, oh, I mean, man. as, a, as yeah, an official clear- Jeff, as a, uh, and you're right, you do defend those guys sometimes, but how, when you're watching that, how, how can you defend that? I mean, what, if you're, if you're one of those replay officials and you, they see all the angles that we see on TV, there was no angle and that's what Gary said today. There was no angle that showed that he reached the 42-yard line. Nothing. So how the, there are how, no angles that show that he reached the 42-yard line. And how in the world did they make that call? I don't know how they made that call. This is what I was taught. So if you're on a fourth and or you know a third and short or a fourth and short, and you're the wing there on the snap, and you know that it's going in, you go and you plant your left foot in your hip on the on the on the line to on the line to gain. And that basically gives you a visual that if he breaks your 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 side line, uh, line of sight straight down the line of scrimmage in a yard or two, you're going to be able to make the call. But if he never exceeds that, then you then you obviously don't have the first down. He did not exceed that, man. There's no way. There's no scrum where it's visual where you're able to see that. And let's say they get it wrong on the field. Let's say that they're able to look and see that they got that wrong. There's no replay that shows that he broke that. There's no replay that shows that he broke that. So it's difficult. I wasn't watching. I wasn't watching on TV, and I haven't watched the replay yet. What, what were the broadcasters saying about it? Oh, they all said that it should not be a first down. Dean Blandino, the two guys calling the game, everyone said this is going to get overturned. So that was that was the interesting part. They all said. You know, they all made some uh, – everybody weighing in uh, made calls that I thought were pretty pretty good. They, they said there's no targeting on Mooring. They said that they didn't get this first down. They were pretty clear, all, you know, game, on, on the whole game about what they thought that kind of lined up with the refs. But on this one, they didn't line up with the refs. So that's a that was the interesting thing from the TV commentary. They thought the Frogs stuck them short. Now, I'm going to add the same asterisk that you did, just in case anybody confuses us as – total homers. I'm, I'm a homer. I'm just not a total homer. It's fourth down if they don't get it. It's fourth and one. They could very well go for it, for it at the 41-yard line. They could very well go for it and likely get it. Or they could punt, and then Max Duggan could go throw another interception. This didn't cost them the game, but it sure was a heck of a time to take control of the game, and that's the part that frustrates me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me tell you what else frustrates me. 
What also frustrates me is when Oklahoma picks off a pass and 11 players and eight guys from the sideline go down to the end zone, sprint 50 yards, find the camera, and then uh, you know basically pose for them the entire time like they're at a WWE match. How in the world does that not get an unsportsmanlike conduct on the sideline, on one or more of those players? That was ridiculous. And if somebody else said this online, I wish I could quote him. I can't remember who. You go back to 2014 against Baylor when uh, Marcus Mallett picked off that pass and ran into the end zone. We had double unsportsmanlike conducts for that celebration. Yes. This celebration, they're in jack at a key time in the game when they could have pushed him back 15, maybe you know, maybe half the distance to the goal to push him back and make make that make it probably a more conservative play call. Why in the world did they not call an unsportsmanlike conduct there? I'm throwing my pen and I'm mad about it right now. I have no idea because I was on the field when that happened as well. And whatever that kid's name is, I can't remember his name, 44. He's kind of got that attitude about him anyway. He likes to talk a lot. And so when he made that play, he gets up, he starts running with the ball, then he tosses it to the refs, then he proceeds to run all the way down with his teammates. And I'm I'm literally 15 yards from the end, from where they're at in the end zone. I'm standing on that end zone. And they're sitting there acting like they're posing for a picture and everything else. There is no ref to be found anywhere near them until one of them sprints down there. And he has a chance to throw the flag, do anything he wants, but they don't do anything. There was there was one ref down there from what I saw from my perspective. I have to go back and watch the replay on TV. But that that should have been a unsportsmanlike penalty right there. That is, if that's not the version of taunting, I don't know what is. It's great to make a play, but for them to run 50 yards, he ran 50 yards with a bunch of his teammates to go down to the end zone, act like you're posing for a picture, pose for pictures, and then not get anything called. I mean, I hate to say it, but dadgum refs, are, uh, did you get a call from Bob Bosby before the game? Honestly. I mean, it's the. How do you explain that? And how do you explain that short call? Well, they might have gotten a call from Bob Bowlesby that said, "Hey, uh, Oregon lost. Anything you can do to help out the Sooners right now would be greatly appreciated." So that might have been what was relayed into those little headsets that they have. So they were they were reviewing that third and one call for a long time, and I we we couldn't figure out on the sidelines why it was taking so long because it was so clearly obvious that he was short. It was it was just I assumed that they were taking so long because they had to get the right yard. Um, they had to reset the chains for yard to gain. They had to go back and reset the clock because the clock would have started on the ready. They had I figured they were getting all those things set up. But what they were really doing is just watching it and saying, nah, we're good to go. We're good. So I don't know yeah. what took them so long. And I don't know why they didn't call 15 yarders, a, a call 15 yard unsportsmanlike conduct against Oklahoma. That was pathetic. That was pathetic. But if you put horns down, you get you get the death penalty. That's what I heard. So, <laughs> you know, not only do you get to run fifty yards and uh, you know celebrate with half your with your teammates and half the student managers in front of a camera and not get a penalty, you could be a couple yards out of bounds, shove Max Duggan into the bench and not get a penalty. What in the world was that miscalled? I got two things on that. One, they screwed that call up, and second, I hate. The, the the sidelines at both Oklahoma schools. I mean, like, 
You said Eamon Carter is tight. It is nothing compared to from the from the out of bounds to the brick wall and then the short field with the benches there at T Boone Pickens at Gaylord Family Stadium. Both of those fields are unsafe, and it ticks me off that that late hit and how short it is to get into that bench. And I, I'm just surprised Max got up, not because he's not tough, but because he would have been injured. Yeah. Why did they miss that call? I, I mean, that was such a bang bang play, and I had like I said, I haven't gone back and watched the game. It, it looked like he might have got uh, hit when he was still in bounds. He was right by out of bounds. But as soon as he got hit, I mean, he went flying. But, again, I haven't seen the replay, so I, I, I really can't comment on it. But it did look vicious. I know that much. Well, it did look vicious, and it was a terrible call. So I'm just going to go ahead and make that <laughs> make that call right now. Uh, all right, I want to celebrate a few things. Uh, let's start with the the two Max Duggan runs. I want to walk through the 63-yarder, and then we'll walk through that touchdown run. The 63-yarder, this was a thing of beauty. There's some great guys that break down uh, clips on film on Twitter. Uh, I am not one of them, and it's not just our guy Jay Parker that breaks it down on our website. But if you go watch that, they run that speed option. They got trips left. They got Max in the shotgun with Jet offset left with Darius Anderson. They run that speed option to the left. Go watch what the three receivers in trips to the left do. They're not blocking. They're all running deep routes and take all of the of the D-backs with them and all of a sudden create all of the space. Now, I don't know if Sonny made that up. I don't know if we found it on another spot. I don't know if it's regular practice inside of uh, that kind of offense. But when Max turned that corner, he had all that space because that play was so well designed. I thought Max was going to take it to the house. They also missed a horse collar on that play, by the way. Uh, but I love watching Max take his 63 yards. That play, that scheme was a thing of beauty. What was it like what for you, Jeremy, watching Max race down there and almost get into the end zone? Oh, that was awesome. You could just see the speed, and it was it was hilarious to hear some of the OU guys in the press box because they had no idea that Max was fast. As a matter of fact, when they're running, they were like, was that was that the quarterback that just ran that? They they had no idea Max was that fast. And every time they ran that option, they just kept saying, here comes that play. They can't stop it. Oh, you can't stop it. They they can't contain it, blah, blah, blah. But that, that was impressive. That, that was really one of those plays where you're like, man, Max – Max might be the fastest quarterback in the Big 12. I know Jalen gets a lot of props because he's rushed for over 1,000 yards, but Max is so athletic. And, and just listening to other uh, beat riders that cover different teams throughout the season, they are so impressed with him. It's it's just crazy. And you, you hear comments like, man, TCU's got a quarterback for the next few years. And, and man, that kid's a leader out there. I, that kid's a true freshman. And it's it's just unbelievable. Every every time I go out of town and, and listen to the the chatter from the press box talking about Max, it's is TCU's got a, a really, really good quarterback. And they now wait a minute, wait a minute. I was told by the number one publisher, I mean the the web, the publisher of the number one rival site that Max Duggan was not that good. <laughs> he came back and said he he was wrong. <laughs> I know, but I just, I just couldn't let that go. I know. No one, no one <laughs> oh, yeah. with him because he puts his no, foot in his can't. mouth more times than not. So, not, yeah. Well, let's look at the second big run that Max had. This one he got into the end zone. Again, they're taking the – I think it was the speed option to the left. Max, uh, 11 yards out, gets hit at the six – drags Motley in about half the, the right side of the Oklahoma defense into the end zone. When he got hit at about the six, I thought he was going to go down at the four. But then when he got to the four, I'm like, they're going all the way in. That looked like 
if you go back to 2017, remember when Shea Woe got in the wild yeah, frog in at Arkansas uh, and he got hit at about the 11. And next thing you know, you just have this, you know, 4,000 pounds of people moving right into the end zone and they never bring him down. Yeah. That's what it felt like watching Max run that play. That was guts is not a measurable, but it is something that you cannot create. I was so impressed watching Max do that. I hate these moral victories, but my gosh, I loved watching Max score on that play. You do have silver linings in a lot of these games, and hopefully you see them come to fruition in the next couple of years because everyone sees the bright side with Max, and he there's every game he plays in, there's just a moment where he just blows you away. And he, he every single game that TCU's played this year, you, you will find a moment where Max has made a play and you're just – you can't believe it. I mean, you're you're just as a TCU fan, you should be thanking your lucky stars that this guy chose TCU after visiting the campus exactly one time, and just fell in love with Sonny Cumbie and fell in love with the the coaching staff and uh, the offense, the intensity. Wanted to be around an intense program, a tense coach like Gary Patterson, and that's. I mean, man, again, you you ought to be thanking your lucky stars. But he he just has. The fact that he got hurt against Oklahoma State and you watch it that replay and you're just seeing him antsy on the sideline because he wants to be in the game so much. And he, he's just got that drive to be good. And, and Gary says it best. He's he's a kid that loves winning, but he's a kid that hates losing more than anything. He hates to lose more than he likes to win. Like it losing to him is the worst thing ever. And that's great to have in a quarterback. And it just every week he just keeps growing and he, he gets, he, he doesn't look like a freshman. I've said it the last three or four weeks, but he doesn't look like a freshman. I don't look at him. He turned 18 in March for crying out loud. This kid is 18 years old and he's leading an offense that has 22 year olds on there, older guys, and they respect him. And the, and the whole team is starting to respect that. The whole team has respected him, but, it, it's just crazy. I mean, you, the silver lining is, Max, you would have hoped he had thrown the ball a little bit better, but can't take away the kid's uh, leadership and, and his will to win, that's for sure. No, that cannot be taken away. I love watching Max play, and I'm looking forward to watching him play. Speaking of some young guys that really showed out in this game, I'm just going to give you some names, and I want you to weigh in on all of them. Wyatt Harris, Trey Mornick, uh, Ardarius Washington, Nook Bradford, all four of them had serious plays. We'll come back to Vernon Scott here in a second. All of those guys are going to be start multiple year starters on this team for years to come, and they all had some great moments and uh, against against the, t- the best team in the Big 12 and a team that's fighting for a playoff spot. What's your assessment of that young defense, and what did, what did you see from these young guys that really stood out to you? I think it's great, and I mentioned it several times. At one point, there were six freshmen on the field for defense, and you ask Gary about it after ask Gary about it after the game. He's smiling about it, uh, and ask Garrett Wallow after the game. He's smiling about it and just saying how how good this team's going to be in a few years when those guys get a little older. I thought Wyatt Harris had a, a huge play on that fourth and one. Nook Bradford he he had a great game. Uh, Gary Gary said that he he had a good game, but then he also made some mistakes. You know, that's typical Coach P. He's, he he's going to find some of the mistakes too, but I think Nook finished with 11 tackles, if I'm not mistaken. He had double digit tackles and he, he was really just making some great plays. That play against Jalen Hurts was obviously 
one of the best plays you'll see a defensive player make on TCU's team this year. Uh, D. Winters played great in a couple of those drives. He he was really the only one that was deciding to tackle Jalen Hurts and, and Kennedy Brooks, and he actually saved a pretty long play on on one on one with Jalen Hurts. He tackled him pretty good. Our Darius keeps making plays. Thought Keon Stewart for the most part they did a pretty good job. I thought C.D. Lamb was going to come in there and have 200 yards receiving. He had two catches for 16 yards, I think. And they did a pretty good job disguising some of their coverages. They confused Jalen Hurts throwing the ball. He couldn't throw it. He threw for 145, which I think is a season low for him. Um, But uh, the other guys, uh, who else do we have? Colt Ellison. Colt Ellison made a few plays. O'Shawn Mathis made a few plays. But I think the young defense, especially like you said, Jeff, they're they're facing – it's not like they were out there playing against – uh, a, a P5 Purdue, or, you know, Purdue <laughs> or, uh, you know, any of the lower rank can like it's, Kansas. It's know? not like they're playing Texas or anything. Yeah. This is Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah. We're back. Um, I thought, I thought it was pretty good for them. And you've, that's another silver lining. You got to look at that and think, man, they had that many freshmen out there. There are, OU was able to run the football. We're not naive. We're not stupid. We we understand if Jalen doesn't fumble there, they probably go on a score. And if Vernon Scott doesn't get that interception, they probably go on a score. But it's it's again, you you've got to look at the facts and and where the game ended. And the game ended with OU scoring twenty eight points, and they did it against really five six freshmen that were on the field for TCU's defense, basically the whole game. You mentioned Colt Ellison. I just got to give a shout out to those boys from Alito. It's fun to see them out there. I know I know a lot of us have followed Texas high school football, watched them play for years, and then to see them out there on the field at Oklahoma having a great game, that, that was a thing of beauty. All right, we mentioned Vernon Scott's pick six. I got to give a shout out here, man. I, did, I knew Vernon Scott was a good D-back. We've missed him at times when he's gone, or we missed him when the times that he's been gone. I did not know he was that fast. And actually, it was Gabe from our site that posted that he ran like a, a 22-5, 200 in high school when he ran track. Vernon Scott read that play, cut in front of C.D. Lamb, and then he just took it to the house. And we got to give a shout-out to Trey Morgan, who, who made that block. I think that's about the 40, maybe, yeah. and, and kept Jalen Hurts from getting there and cleared that final path. But Vernon Scott jumping in front of that pass for a pick six, that was the moment where I thought, oh, my gosh, this is going to happen. Yeah, Vernon was – I don't know if I've told the story or not, but I was at a high school game when when Mansfield was playing Mansfield Summit. I was there to see Julius, and Julius Lewis was pretty fast in high school. A lot of people don't remember that he was a pretty good running back before Kennedy Brooks took over. Uh, Julius, I think, was a year older than – year or two older than Kennedy Brooks. But anyway, Julius, he ran a – pretty high four, three, four, three, nine hand time, uh, at TCU's camp. Well, I'm at that game. He takes a pitch and he starts running down the sideline down. Uh, he's basically running. It's left to right. He takes a pitch going, uh, and, and he starts running to the right and he looks like he's gone. Well, Vernon Scott's playing corner on the opposite side and he runs them down. He completely runs them down. And Kenny Perry was at that game uh, watching Julius Lewis because he recruited Mansfield area when he was on staff for TCU. And wouldn't you know, about 
a week later, TCU starts recruiting Vernon Scott pretty heavily. And so Vernon was that bit. I mean, he was 6'2", 200 pounds as a cornerback in high school with that kind of speed. And man, he was, it was just incredible the way he was able to, to run in high school. And I, I think he might've even ran a, a faster than 22.5. I mean, he was, he was fast, man. He, he ran, I guarantee he ran a low four, four hand time at TCU. Yeah, that was a great moment for Vernon Scott. I love to see him be able to get that. That was that was a moment where everybody got up, either stood to their feet or sat down. If you're an Oklahoma fan, or you're like you're me, you jumped up off your couch at about the thirty and thought, "Oh my gosh, he's going to make it." So, great moment for Vernon Scott. Great moment for the TCU defense. All right, anything else from the Oklahoma game before we start to transition into some other issues uh, coming out of the Oklahoma game and then switch into recruiting? Anything else you want to share with us, Jeremy? I thought Jordy Sandy had a decent game. I think that was probably one of his better games that he's had this year because there was a couple times he got into a punt that, that flipped the field a little bit for them. And he ended up averaging, I think, almost 46 yards per punt that night. So if there was a true bright side, I think it was I think it was him. I think he did. Uh, he exceeded expectations, if you can say that, uh, for a guy that needed to play big. He, need, he needed to play big, and I think he, he went out there and performed, performed pretty well. He's come a long way from when he got benched in the Texas game. So I say good for Jordy Sandy. Anything else? Uh, positive or negative? Which way you want to go here? Well, uh, you give me one positive and one negative, and I'll give you one positive and one negative. So you go first. Give me a positive. <laughs> the positive. Hmm. Can't really think of a positive on the offensive side. I do like the way Ardarius played. He had 14 tackles, so the kid keeps making plays. Uh, negative, the offensive line is in disarray. Someone asked today on Twitter when I tweeted that Garrett Hayes committed, they asked if he could play this Friday. I would let him. I think he could start. Yeah, my negative was the offensive line. That was just an issue. When you can't run the ball, you're not going to be able to win. So offensive line is clearly an issue. Uh, that's that's my big negative. You know, the positive is clearly that you, you got – I just rattled off here about four minutes ago, six, seven guys that are all going to be on defense in 2021, 2022, and some of them 2023. So you're looking at some two, three, four-year starters here from for the Frogs on the defensive side of the ball. And if you can have that same kind of progression and development with the offensive line, that's a good thing. So that's that's the upside that I see. Downside offensive line means that, hey, we can't get any worse. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right, Jeremy, I have a trivia question for you. All right. Who is the greatest field goal kicker in TCU history? Percentage-wise? Or just yeah. who I think is? Uh, let's go with both. Who do you think is, and then we'll go percentage-wise. I know who it is. I think Jonathan Song might be percentage-wise, but I think – Jaden Oberchrome. Who were you going to say, Daniel? It is Jonathan Song. Jonathan Song has the highest percentage rating ever for a TCU field goal kicker, over 90%, 39 of 43. And uh, our good friend Mark Cohen even posted that that was a better percentage than the GOAT, Jaden Oberchrome. Now, some of us that are children of the 90s will always be biased towards uh, Luke Groves, a winner, uh, 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 Michael Reeder. But Jonathan Song, who took – 
so much crap on message boards about kicks he missed or games he seasons he didn't play in. Guess what? He's 39 of 43, and then he will go down in history as the number one field goal kicker in the history of TCU football. I say good to you. To 0 and 4 this week. Yeah, watch it. <laughs> All Saints is finest. I coached there at one time. All Saints is finest. Jonathan Song. Got money get- in the bank. So is Jonathan Song's kick. That's right. Jonathan Song's That's kick. Money in the bank. Money, money. I went up to him when, when we talked to him a few weeks ago. I, I said, oh, man, answer me this. And you may not know because you may not hear this, but what, what did they say every time you kicked an extra point or filled goal over at All Saints? He, he started smiling. He said, like, money in the bank. <laughs> I said, I knew I wasn't dreaming that. So they literally said, like, money in the bank. So is Jonathan Song's kick. Like, oh, all right. Well, he's been money this he's been money for uh TCU for sure. Can't beat can't beat that man. He is money in the bank. All right, let's uh let's switch gears here. Uh Daniel, I'm gonna wake you up. Are you are you there? You up from your nap? Uh yeah, I'm here. Okay, good. All right, the big uh takeaway from this game is Oklahoma is in the driver's seat to win the Big 12. They're, they play, They have Bedlam this Friday, and then they have uh, o- Baylor the week after at Jerry World. Are you pulling for Oklahoma to make the playoff? Ah, that's tough because what, what all – okay, if Oklahoma makes it – or actually if they don't make it because that it implies – other things happening because if Oklahoma makes it, X, Y, Z happens. If they don't make right. it, X, Y, Z happens. So what let's, all's going to, yeah. What all's going to happen? All right. If Oklahoma makes the playoff, that means they, they, they won the big 12, which means that Oklahoma beat Baylor for a second time. Are you okay with that? Yeah, I can live with that. That also means that Baylor would go to the sugar bowl. Are you okay with that? Mm, no. But that means they may go to the Sugar Bowl and play Alabama. Are you okay with that? I take it back. That would be fine. That would be fine. That would be fine. Okay. Well, this is one of those where it just kind of splits four or five times. It also means that uh, Baylor would probably end up being ranked in the top 15, top 20. Although if they get beat by Oklahoma and then get beat by Bama, that might knock them all the way out of the top 20, and they could resemble the 2010 UConn team that went to a BCS Bowl and wasn't even ranked by the season's end. I would be okay with that. Yeah, yeah, I can do I can do that. Okay, so if Oklahoma... What year was that? 2010? Wasn't it 2010? I don't even remember UConn ever being good. You're telling me that UConn went to a BCS game? I'm telling you, UConn went to a BCS game because somebody from the old Big East had to go. That is nuts. I have to go back and look at yeah. that. I don't. I, I don't. Ever, was that? Uh, who was the coach? All right, sorry, it was, uh, I'm, it throwing was, you off, I'm throwing you off here. No, I've got. I've got it pulled up here. It was. It was the 2011 Fiesta Bowl, which would have been the 2010 season, and it was Randy Etzel. Right. That's how he he parlayed that's what, that's that job. Yeah, into the Maryland job, got fired from that, and went back to UConn and moved them from the AAC to an independent. So he he basically. Every moment after this, his career has gone down when they got beat 48-20. to 20. So they ended Ooh. the season not ranked. And they played one of those Oklahoma teams that, you know, probably squandered away a chance to go to the playoff, and then they just got annihilated. They got beat 48-20. Uh, 
uh, by by they, they, UConn got beat forty eight twenty. I know things you didn't think about that you were going to think about when you woke up this morning. All right, I've exactly. got. I'm, I'm going to be curious to see if Oklahoma makes the playoff. Obviously, Oregon lost. If Oregon beats Utah, that probably is going to put Oklahoma in the playoff. So they're yet well, to win a game. Thing that was. That was another thing that was going on at the game. They kept showing Arizona State highlights, uh, Arizona State and Oregon highlights, because I guess OU fans are still holding on to the dream that they're going to make the playoffs. Where where are they? Uh, today's Monday. comes out tomorrow. Yeah, I've stopped well, watching the playoff rankings. This, it is Tuesday, yeah. and you'll know the playoff rankings tonight. Yes. Here's another fun playoff statistic. There are – Five SEC teams in the top 16, four SEC teams in the top 10. You know what Alabama's record is against those five teams? I have no idea. 0-1. Yeah. That's how you set up a scheduling agreement and call it a conference and get to prop up your conference. So Alabama lost to LSU, and they haven't played Georgia. They – they haven't played Florida. Who's the other ones? They got five of them. They haven't played Auburn yet. Uh, they will play Auburn, but man, they're that's not good. That's just shady, as far as I'm concerned. So yeah, I agree. I agree. I agree. All right, let's flip over to recruiting a little bit here. Jeremy, you ready to take the reins here? Let's start with the most recent commit, a top fifty player in the country, top seven player in the state of Texas, Garrett Hayes, out of there and out there in East Texas in the Piney Woods in Athens. Garrett commits to the Horn Frogs today. This was one that he plays his cards really close to his vest. Uh, you you got an interview, even though he says no interviews. Take us inside of, of Hayes' recruitment and what the Frogs did to land him. Well, it was a great job by Chris Thompson, uh, the offensive line coach um, for TCU. He's he's become a really good recruiter and really the he he's just another good tackle because Mike Nichols is a four star too and. Uh, Garrett is ranked overall as, I think, composite rankings in the 70s, but 24-7 has him ranked pretty high. I think he's in the 40s, and we've got him as the number five offensive tackle in the country and the number one offensive tackle in Texas. That's a huge get. I mean, he is right now ranked as the second highest commit ever in the Gary Patterson era. The, the reason why he chose TCU from what he told me, he just, when he came up and, and visited with the coaches, everything just felt like home. Um, it And he said it, there was nothing else other than it just felt right to be there. And he's not a, he's not a kid that does a lot of recruiting interviews. He really doesn't like to talk recruiting. He just likes to talk about his, you know, his team and uh, other things. He, and he, He's been really, really close to the vest. No one really knew what was going on with him. I think probably if anyone, Gabe Brooks had a pretty good idea that uh, TCU was in it pretty good. And Gabe usually has all the intel on on all, the, all those East Texas kids anyway. But for TCU to kind of go in there, I, I, I think it helped with Arkansas firing Chad Morris. But even before that went down, I, I kept telling you guys on the board that TCU and Arkansas are pretty much neck and neck, and TCU was in it a lot more than what people were giving them credit for. I think as quiet as Garrett Hayes was able to to keep his recruitment and, and his favorites quiet, 
uh, I think it just kept help, kept helping TCU's case. And people are going to look at it that TCU got him because they've sent guys to the NFL. He really doesn't care. He, he, he told me he doesn't pay attention to that. And he just felt like it was the right college to go to. All he's cared about right now is college. He said he, he, he looked at it very little, but that didn't have a factor in his decision. And playing time really didn't have a factor in his decision either, even though a lot of people I've spoken with feel that he could come in and contribute contribute right away as, as a second teamer and even maybe as a starter if he comes in there and does well enough. But big, huge get for them. I mean, this this kid, you watch his film. He is a mauler. He just likes to smash mouth people. He's very strong. And he's the kind of kid, kid that you get behind and you, you run that football behind him. I mean, he is going to create some lanes for you. And he reminds me a lot of Patrick Morris, kind of how he didn't want to talk recruiting and he just wanted to play football and he really didn't even want to talk to media altogether. He just wants to go out there and do his job. And I think that's the kind of players that have always – been pretty good for TCU. Just the kids that want to go to college, just go to class, go to film, go to meetings, go to practice, and play the games on Saturday. That's that's what he's there to do. But uh, just another another huge gift for them. And they go from being ranked number nine in the Big Twelve overall to number four. But the average the average ranking is number three. So I, I still feel that they're going to get some good. Flip, you know, I, I still feel they're going to get Bud Clark. I think he's going to flip from Virginia. He's going to visit Ole Miss next month, and they're still chasing after some defensive ends. I know that uh, people were upset that James Sylvester decommitted. Um, from everything I was told, they weren't too upset over it. It's one of those stories I'll tell after our signing day in February. No early signing day uh, recruiting recaps. These are in February, so I'll spill the beans on that in February uh, with how all that went down. But uh, back to Garrett Hayes, just, just great, great get Chris Thompson, very good uh, job recruiting him. And the offensive line looks like it's going to be pretty legit with, with guys like Mike Nichols and and Garrett Hayes. And you got Brandon Coleman, uh, the Juco kid that's going to be coming in next year as well. So looks, looks pretty promising for them. Frogs gave out another offer that's uh, semi-famous mostly because of his last name, but Chandler Morris, four-star quarterback at Highland Park. Frogs make an offer to him in this last week. Is that connected to the the inevitability of Michael Collins entering the that they knew it was going to happen? Mike Collins has entered the transfer portal. He's going to be a grad transfer. How are those two things connected, and what went into the decision to finally offer Morris? Uh, it was very – it's like I told you guys when, when it first came out that TCU was talking to Chandler and, and people were getting ticked off because TCU wouldn't offer. And uh, these, these scholarships are premium guys that you just can't go out and yeah, sure. They're ranked high and, and it would be great. It's, it's not like the NFL draft board. You're just going to take the best player overall. You're, you're going to have to recruit your needs in college. And for them, they really didn't have a big need. They liked Chandler a lot but they didn't have a big need at quarterback and, and really they had needs that they were focusing elsewhere. And once, once they, it, it was two reasons. I know Sonny Combie wanted to offer Chandler Morris. He wanted him as soon as Chandler reached out to them, they, they wanted to 
give him an offer. They, they like his film. They think he's a good player. But with Mike uh, entering the portal, it probably had something to do with that too because if you also notice what I posted on the board, unless a quarterback comes in, if, if Mike Collins comes in or Matthew Baldwin comes in the next day and says they want to leave, quarterback does become a priority. Did I not? Did y'all remember me saying that? So that happened. I do. I pay attention to every word you say. <laughs> Some people do, Jeff, and I appreciate you. I appreciate you doing that. Um, but Mike Collins announces his poor, his intent to transfer. Transfer. So obviously, quarterback becomes a big need for them now because now they only have two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. They got Matthew Downing, and then they got Eli Williams, who's still recovering he's going to be recovering from an injury and we really don't know how good of a quarterback he is right now or if he's going to be an athlete and play other positions we don't we don't know for sure yet but it's it's one of those uh positions now that becomes a huge priority and Chandler Morris goes from a kid that they like you but we just don't have an offer for you to please come here we want you to visit come by this week and he's probably going to come by. Uh, I, I was told that he would probably stop by the campus this week just to visit with the coaches and, and, and see how everything is. Not an official visit or anything, but just him coming by and, and checking things out. That's a good update on that. I'll be interested to see how that unfolds. It may very well be tied in to where Chad Morris lands. If he does, it'll be curious. He can still live off of that Walmart and Jerry money for several years as far as I'm concerned. So. We'll see what happens. We also had Jacoby Simpson enter the transfer portal. Hadn't seen much of, of the field when it mattered. Are the Frogs concerned about this? Does this open up another spot on the roster? No, I mean, it's there wasn't a huge need uh, for linebacker in the first place. And, and really, Jacoby was more of a special teams player than he was a, a player at linebacker. I mean, the freshmen have, had already passed him up. Then you got Ben Wilson that's – that's healthy. So he was third or fourth string as far as linebackers go. Um, linebackers still not a big need for them. And and that's kind of the way these scholarships work. And in case anyone missed it, just because a kid leaves, that doesn't open up a scholarship automatically. You basically don't have that scholarship. I, w- I was told straight up, if, if they have five scholarships remaining and 10 kids decided to walk in tomorrow and say they're leaving the program, they still only have five scholarships remaining. Those scholarships don't become available until those kids go to another program from what I was told. So basically you're looking at the next recruiting class anyway. So basically you can't use those scholarships until if you had some of those kids leave tomorrow, you still couldn't use those scholarships until the 2021 class. Okay. That makes sense. Well, anything else you guys want to lift up Oklahoma game recruiting OU playoff, anything else that you guys want to share for the good of the cause? You guys got big plans for Thanksgiving? Go ahead, Dan. Go ahead, Jeremy. I cut you off. Go ahead. Were you surprised at all by Mike Collins leaving? I was not at all because he's a good quarterback and he's not going to see the field and he has his degree. I say go for it. He had some nice moments here. He won that K-State game last year that got us to that helped get us to a bowl game. I was I was not surprised by that and I'm I'm happy for him. I'll be pulling for him wherever he goes. Same way Texas fans are pulling for Shane Bichelle up at SMU. I'll be pulling for Mike Collins wherever he goes. I hope he goes to a good spot. I I said to you he should go to Louisiana Tech because they're going to throw the ball and they're going to win some games. 
Yeah. Go somewhere where you can start right away. So I'll, I'm not surprised, and I'll be pulling for him. Yeah, I wasn't surprised either because, like you said, he wasn't. He, he he probably saw Max was the future for TCU, and and Mike's been nothing but a great kid, man. He is. He's an awesome kid. Was always awesome to the media. Uh, was just a team player. I think he had the respect from a lot of guys. And I've said all along, it, I think the quarterback room looks completely different if Mike doesn't get hurt. Not only against Baylor, uh, to where he has to miss spring camp, but once he got hurt early on in fall camp, it, it the the room completely changed. The the order of the the quarterbacks completely changed as far as what was played on the field. I, I think if Mike would have stayed healthy all through fall camp, and I've had several people tell me the same thing, that you probably would have seen Mike Collins as a starter and, and Max kind of working behind him. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. So that's just the way it goes, man. Injuries are awful. Injuries are awful. We'll all be pulling for Mike Collins wherever he lands. I hope he finds a good spot and is able to you know line up in the gun and use that big arm he has because he's got a great arm. He's got a great throw. So we'll see how all that shakes out. Anything else for the good of the cause? Daniel, what do you got going on for Thanksgiving? Um, besides lots of work. Besides lots of work. So you tell tell us tell everybody a little bit about what you do. This is why we were not able to record last night, in case you're wondering. Um, this is like April 14th for a CPA for Daniel right now in the business that he runs. Tell everybody what you do what you do. Um, I am in the pie business. And yes, Thanksgiving is is a madhouse. I was lucky I could do it tonight. Um, I wasn't sure about it, but I had I did en- enough extra work yesterday that uh, it worked out tonight. So, and it's weird. Last year I didn't have to do so much, so I don't know if that's a good thing or not. So, after the stress is over, I'll look back and, and determine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, no, I think um, as far as the holiday itself, we're going over to my great aunt's house, and uh, that's you know my whole family is going to gather over there. Not the whole family, but that side. Well, that'll be good, Jeremy. You got big plans? I'm just going to have some of the family over here. My my wife's actually cooking, and we usually go to the in laws, but they're going up to Boston this year, so. We're, uh, we're kind of fending for ourselves. We're going to have a few family members over here and just enjoy it and get full for uh, for Friday. I'll be at Amy Carter on Friday watching the Frogs try to get bowl eligible. What about you, man? You doing anything? Oh, man. Long, long road trip. Leaving Memphis Wednesday morning, going to – Cedar Rapids, Iowa City, where all my siblings live, and my my grandma lives there, and she's been in pretty bad health, so we're looking forward to having Thanksgiving with her. So we'll do that, then sweep down to the in-laws and the family in Peoria area, do that for a day or so, and then get back here. I'll probably be on the road most of Saturday, probably probably a long day of driving on Saturday, and then um, Find a way to watch frogs on Friday. Get back here for church Sunday morning. So that's what I got going on. Long road trip. Is the long is the long road you're going to be traveling on longer or shorter than the long road Texas is traveling to get back? Well, Texas only has to go a block or two to get back. I was told Texas was back. So I was told that on national television on a New Year's Six Bowl when they beat Georgia. So 
I think Texas has got a long road to go back, I guess, come to think of it. No, they don't. They, is Texas back? Have we decided? I think they're back. I think they're back to, to be, what they actually to in, are. To be in 500. To be in 500. Yeah. I want them to go to the, the, the worst bowl possible. That's my goal. <laughs> That's my goal. Get stuck playing like Ohio or uh, Marshall or something like that. Uh, they would hate it. They I know. Absolutely hate it. That's why I'm hoping for it. Although that's probably what we'll end up doing. First responders bowl, playing somebody from Conference USA. That's probably what we'll get stuck with. <laughs> Twelve thousand people in the Cotton Bowl. It'll be cold and uh, rainy. Oh, oh, that's that's sadly what we may be looking at. Uh, big game against West Virginia. If you're listening to this and you can get out there on Black Friday, go. You can go sit in the student section. They'll they'll usually let you in there. Um, Worked out for us last year after the, you know, right after Thanksgiving, beating Oklahoma State. So we'll see if it comes around two years in a row. If we could go to the Cheez-It Bowl again, I probably wouldn't complain, play a Pac-12 team. I'd be all for that. That's the problem, though. They don't ever – Cheez-It Bowl doesn't really invite the same team two years in a row. That's true. That's true. So well, we'll I'd, rather see go to, I'd rather go up to Memphis, come see you, come hang out and go watch the Liberty Bowl. Hey, I'd be fine with that. If we had, I'll, I'll just say it right now. If we end up in the Liberty Bowl, I'll have a big party at the house the night before the game. So everybody that listens to Frogcast will have barbecue and some adult beverages over here at my house. I'll let you know where that is. So we got to get there first. Got to beat West Virginia. Go. Then got to have a few things break our way to end up in the Liberty Bowl. But I'd be fine with that. Some of you players listening, you have a goal to reach now. That's right. You got to help, help out fellow Frogcasters. That's right. I want to get that smoker going. I want to buy me some beer. Uh, that's that's what I want. I'm gonna have everybody. I got a big back porch, big uh, big backyard, so we got plenty of room for everybody to come over and enjoy the evening before we go watch the frogs take on a six and six SEC team that probably won four FCS games, beat Vanderbilt and Arkansas, and ended up in a bowl. So that's probably what, that's probably what probably what it'll be. But I was told that the best team in the Big 12 would come in 10th or 11th in the SEC. So it, it would probably be, you know, double-digit underdogs. So. Yeah, for sure. So, Well, I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of the Frogcast. If you haven't yet, go on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Give us a rating, a review, subscribe to us. We want more people that listen to the Frogs, that care about the Frogs, come and hear us talk about the Frogs. So line up and let everybody know about it. If you're on social media and you see this in a tweet or on a Facebook Give us a share. Give us a retweet. Tweet. We sure would appreciate that. Also, go to hornfrogblitz.com and join our website, and you can find all the inside information on recruiting and stay informed about what's going on inside of this program. And so t- until next week when we come back, and hopefully the frogs are bowl eligible, for Jeremy Clark and Daniel Southern, I'm Jeff Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening to the Frogcast. Frogcast.